0: Thank you. I have been waiting to preach for 13 days now. I don't know what's about to happen. I may explode from excitement. Because what we're looking at this morning is so... Magnificently important for us to hear and understand this morning about what our deepest need is. Because sometimes we can be confused about what we really need, what truly is the best for us. And the text this morning, I believe, drives us to the greatest need any of us will ever have in our lives. And so I'm excited. To preach this morning, and I pray I will do it concisely and without too much expounding unnecessarily. Ephesians chapter 4. Listen, my intent was to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 2. That ain't happening. It just isn't going to happen. I mean, I, sometimes, sometimes when I sit in my office, I've got great expectations of how I'm going to be able to preach these messages. It's not until you sit down and actually start working through them that you start going, uh, there ain't no way. And this is one of those texts. There is, there is no way I was going to be able to preach all those verses when I sat down months ago and planned out to do it. And so we're going to try to focus simply on 17 through 24. And we may not even make it through all that, but we're going to try. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24, what we find is the greatest need and Paul's reminder to Christians of what Jesus did for them in the midst of their greatest need. Now, I need to start out with all of us on the same page because... We may come in here with different backgrounds and different struggles and different things we've worked through this week. But there is one common problem that every single one of us faces no matter when you were born or, or how you were born or where you were born or in what family you were born into. There is something that is common between all of us. You want to know what it is? Every single person who has ever drawn breath besides Jesus. Jeremiah 17 Nine is true about you and me. Jeremiah 17, 9, God shares something that should take us aback. And God says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. you all with me? That is truly terrible news for every person. What God says in his word without discussion is by nature, we as people have deceitful, desperately sick hearts. And then God says he gives everyone according to their deeds. Well, let me ask you, how many of you apart from Jesus are ready to stand before God and answer For the deeds of your life. How many of us are ready to stand before God? Knowing everything we've done. Everything we've thought about doing. Every word we've said. Every word we've thought about saying. How many of us are ready to stand before God? Who knows your heart. And your mind. See. What the Bible lays out clearly from the beginning is that we are not okay people. We aren't generally good people. Even you sweet old ladies. Jeremiah 17.9 is true about every human being. Our hearts are sick. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. What are we to do this morning knowing that fact? Well, the reason I bring it up is not to bum you out, although that's kind of the whole point of what God, why he shares it is to bring us down to see who we truly are. But it's because that's what I believe Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. He's talking about the importance of the heart above all else. That what you really need to come to grips with is not how much information about God you can learn, not how you can correct all your bad behavior. What you and I desperately need to come to grips with is we have sick hearts, and because of that, we could never truly live for God unless he did something. And it's important because a lot of people walk into churches on Sunday mornings thinking that they're going in to get behavior modification. Tell me the do's and don'ts list and let me go out there and do it. That will lead you to hell just as much as any rampant sin you'll ever commit. We can convince ourselves that if we just clean up our act, God will finally love us and accept us. Can I help you? No. And Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24 shows us that. So what I want you to get this morning, if you're about to go to sleep, what I want you to write down before you pass out, I want you to write down this new life is not simply behavioral new life is not simply behavioral because here's what ephesians 4 is addressing you, you know paul's writing to real people right we have, we are, we're we're 2,000 years away from this, so we can almost view them as like fictional people, like they didn't really exist. These are real people. Paul, Paul's a real guy writing to real Christians with real problems. Just so you know, that's not new to us. That, that's been going on since, since time began. And what, what Paul's doing is he's writing to real Christians in real life who are dealing with real problems, and here's the problem they might be facing. That as Christians, they still live in a world that doesn't love God. Every day they go where they go, They're running into people who don't love God and don't want other people to love God. So just so you know, you're in good company today if you are a Christian trying to live in a sin-sick world because that's exactly what Paul was living in. That's exactly what the Christians in Ephesus were living in. And so he writes to them. And I want you to remember in chapter 4, verse 1, he told us kind of his whole purpose for writing the letter. He desired that all the Christians that read his letter, that all of those Christians would walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which they'd been called. That they might live life in a way that would honor the sacrifice Jesus made for them. That, that the gospel of, of Jesus, the good news of his death in our place, his resurrection from the grave, that he purchased our pardon, that brings us into a relationship with God, into a saving relationship with God through Christ, that we should live that out on a daily basis. And we should live and walk in a way that's worthy of that sacrifice Jesus made. And so in this, what Paul's addressing, I believe, in these verses is how do you live this life when everything around you is tempting you to walk away from it? Just so you know, that strikes home to me. If for no one else in the room, that strikes home to me because you know what? Every day I live, there's someone or something trying to lure me away from Christ and love for him. And Paul is addressing how to live as a Christian in a dark world. That, here's the point, even as Christians, we still struggle with this thing called the flesh. Just because we've been saved does not mean that we no longer struggle with our sin nature that we've had. That doesn't go away. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the temptations we've felt in the past, God gives us victory from. And sometimes they don't pass. And we honor God by not following through on them or acting upon them. But just so you know, as a Christian, don't be surprised when you're still tempted to sin. Don't be surprised when when you still are prone to walk back into those things. It It is something that we war and battle against every day because we battle against the flesh. And so here is Paul's teaching to the Christians Of how they are to walk. Verse 17, he says, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, what he is implying here is that a new walk has come about from the old. He's telling you, no longer walk as you used to, but walk differently. He's implying that there's two walks. There's either the walk as the Gentiles do or the walk in a manner worthy of Christ. There's no middle ground. There are two walks. And he is urging them to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, the word Gentiles means those who were in opposition to God, those who, who were not in union with Christ, who did not love God. And what Paul tells them is don't walk as you used to in your old life. But just so you know, Paul's already described that to us, hasn't he? Ephesians chapter 2. Remember verse 1 through 3? He said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, what? Walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul's already told us how we used to walk. Before Jesus, apart from God, we walk after our own desires. Our own sinful desires, the things we want for ourselves, we walk after them. We used to be dead in them. We had no power to walk in a way that honored God. We could only walk after sin. But he told us that's not how we stayed. That as Christians, when we trust in Jesus, we are made alive in Christ. I mean, one amen will suffice. There we go. I'll move on for one. You used to be dead. Spiritually, I used to be dead. I used to walk only after what I desired for myself. And you know what that was purchasing for me? Death, separation from God, eternal hell. That's what it was purchasing for me. And if God hadn't done anything, that's exactly where I'd be right now. But... God acted. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. He told us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You and I suffered from the same deceitful, wicked heart. And if God hadn't done anything for us, it's exactly where we'd be today, acted upon that same wicked heart. But Paul says, when you trust in Christ, you are made alive in Christ. You're no longer dead. You're no longer stuck in sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are set free. And now, as a result, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Paul's saying, this is God telling you this. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You can no longer, you must no longer walk as the old man, but as the new. And he's insisting, he's imploring them, he's charging them to not walk like the old man anymore. He says, no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. I believe what this is referring to is this is to be devoid of truth. The way we used to live was devoid of spiritual truth. It was aimless wandering. Before I was saved, it's exactly how it characterized my life. I was aimlessly wandering after who knows what. To try and find hope, try to find happiness, try to find joy somewhere. That's how we're marked. That's how the Gentiles walk. That's how those who are in opposition to God walk. Those those who are not in Christ, that's how they walk. They walk in the futility of their minds, the purposelessness, the vanity of it. Do you know where that word is used most often in the Greek? In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. Everything is worthless. Same word here. Paul says you used to walk in futility aimless wandering the futility of our minds we had an attitude against god in aimless wandering and pointless pursuit why because we were devoid of truth He says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then he explains that for us. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You want to know what marks this futility of mind? Darkened understanding. Understanding. Their understanding, before God showed up, before Christ, before we heard the gospel, our understanding God describes as darkened. It means to be spiritually blind, but think you're enlightened. Second Corinthians 4, Paul shares more about that with us. He tells us clearly what that looked like. Second Corinthians chapter 4, he says this in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says that apart from God we are found to be blind, that unbelievers' minds are blinded to keep them from seeing the light. There are many ways in which Satan seeks to distract us and to blind us to the truth of who Christ is. And before God showed up, we were stuck in the darkness of our understanding. Not only that, but he tells us we were alienated from the life of God. That means to be completely separated from him. And by the way, he uses this in a tense that means completed action in the past with continuous results now. So what this means is that you didn't become alienated somewhere down in life. What this means is you and I were alienated, separated from God from the day we were born. We were born into separation from God because Adam sinned, All sin. This is bad news. It tells us that apart from God, our understanding was darkened. We were blind to spiritual truths. We had no truth. We were aimlessly wandering. And we were alienated from God from birth. And he says, because of the ignorance that is within them. Now, this isn't talking about your IQ, this is talking about our spiritual ignorance. Being devoid of truth. We walked after those things because we knew no truth. And any truth of God we had, we distorted and we twisted for our own gain. There's a chapter that I think speaks so clearly about our desperate condition apart from God that I go to it often. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 25 Paul again writes this, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So none of us can sit here and say, we didn't know God, you didn't give us any clue. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Nobody can say that they were clueless to anything because all Paul says is go outside, look around. Where did that come from? What does that speak of? It speaks of the divine majesty and power of a god. He goes on. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Oh, (laughs) our hearts should ache understanding that God created us in his image. He poured out his love on us. He created every single one of us in his image. And rather than give him the praise he deserved, we decided to cast him aside and seek our own glory above his and to worship ourselves instead of him. And here we're told... That we were darkened, alienated, and then God plunges right to the depths of the problem. Notice there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Due to their hardness of what? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart. Wicked, deceitful above all things. The heart is desperately sick. And what Paul tells us is that's how we used to walk. All these things are stemming from a hard heart. That's the problem. You know what the main problem for you and me is? It's not just our actions. You know the main problem for you and me is it's not just our thoughts. You know the main problem for all of us in this room? It's our hearts. We need God to act upon our hearts. Because here, Paul seems to trace that to be the key culprit. Follow this. No longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. So what Paul has just done is he's traced the problem for us. And the problem is not behavior. The problem is not just thought. The problem for every single one of us in this room is we have hard hearts that need to be changed. And none of the things he's writing about can be done by us. I can't wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm tired of this hard heart. I'm going to make a new heart. I can't. Because if I could, I'd do it for every one of you. Only God can do that. Only God can change the heart. And it's so glorious that he does. Ezekiel chapter 36, God promised he would. He made a promise to his people, not just to the Jewish people, but to us too. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not your, for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. That sounds like us, apart from God. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. You notice what God's concerned about? His name. His name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God says, watch what I'm about to do as I take broken, dead, lifeless hearts, and I bring new life to them. 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Oh, God would clean us from all our uncleannesses and from all your idols, God says, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, this is what we needed. He says, and I, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What did God promise he would do? He would solve. The problem that has existed from the beginning of created time that is hard-hearted people. How does God rescue them so that we might be with him and not cast off into eternal hell? He says, I will take out your heart of stone and I will put in a new heart of flesh. And out of that heart... Out of that new heart, the mind is no longer darkened, but we can see clearly. No longer devoid of truth, no longer aimless wandering, but purposeful, holy walking after Jesus. In that heart that God puts within us are new affections, new loves new joys, and new purpose. (laughs) You might have come in here today thinking, okay, let's talk about what we're not allowed to do anymore and what we got to go out here and not do. I'm here to tell you what Paul is telling us is that behavior is not the culprit. The culprit is the hard heart from which that behavior flows from. So what we're here to do at Fairhaven is not simply to tell you to stop it. Not simply telling you to clean your life up and kick the habit. Those are good things. But they don't make an ounce of difference if it doesn't flow from a changed new heart. Because you can clean up the outward activity and still have a heart that doesn't love God. And I'm I'm preaching to myself. Because as a Christian, there's so many days that I act like a relationship with God is simply don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. Which in many cases is true. Don't do those things. But I, I don't do those things because I love Jesus more than them. That's the difference between works-based righteousness and fruits. Of a changed heart. We're still called to live exactly how. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. But the only way you can do that is to have a new heart. And what you and I need this morning. Is for God to take out the heart of stone. And put in a heart of flesh. And he tells us in his word in Acts chapter 4. That anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ and his death and resurrection was not just erasing that debt. He was preparing the way for us to have new hearts and to love him and to love God above all things. What Paul's saying is walk in a manner worthy. Don't walk like the Gentiles do because you've been rescued from that. You know that that doesn't lead to, to glory. You know that that leads to Destruction and instead of walking after that, walk after Christ. I told you I didn't know we we're getting all the way through it. We're not. Just so you know, next Sunday is going to be part two. And I had a lot to say about the second part. <laughs> it's all written down right now. I've got a lot to say. But this morning, what I want you to see, and we're going to stop here. Here's what what I want you to walk away with. You need a new heart. And the only way you can have one is through Christ. And the only way you can have that is to pray. Earnestly pray to God. If you're here this morning and you thought that living a good life would make God love you and, and cause him to have to save you, I hate to break it to you, you can't do that. God will not be coerced or manipulated. Believe me, I've tried. What God calls us to is not to come to him with all of our efforts and deeds. He calls us to come to him as broken, lowly, contrite sinners who need to be forgiven by him. And I'm urging you today to not trust in your deeds to save you, but to trust in Christ. Who alone was able to purchase your new heart? And Christians in the room, our main problem we have to realize is that we live in a world that desires for us to walk back after those things. We live around people who don't know any better. They are spiritually devoid of truth and they're asking you to walk in the manner that they think will bring you ultimate happiness. But guess what? You're not a fool. Your eyes have been opened. You know that will not bring you ultimate joy. And so we need as Christians to be praying to God that he would help us to walk after him, to guard us from walking as the Gentiles do. Now, next week we're going to get into what that looks like, exactly how to do that. So you're going to have to come back. I hate to break it to you. You're going to have to come back because if not, you're going to leave this half done. And you're going to need to bring people with you because I'm going to summarize next week. You're going to need to bring people with you. But what we need to understand is that God is so gracious and glorious to us. Not because he just cleaned up our lives. Not just because he gave us victory over this sin or that one. God is supremely glorious because for the glory of his own name, he takes out sinful dead hearts and he puts in new, beating, spiritually alive hearts that love him. And he deserves glory for that every single second of the day. And my encouragement to us is to glorify his name. Listen, is this tough stuff? Yeah. Do I love talking about the deceitfulness of my own heart? No. But it is absolutely important if I'm ever going to see the grace of God to see the depths of my need. I pray that's the same for every single one of you this morning. Listen, we're going to have our response time. We're going to sing a couple verses. Some of you don't feel comfortable coming up during that time, and I get it. But I want you to know that the invitation to respond to Christ never closes. And the time to respond to Jesus and to ask him for forgiveness and and to repent of our sin and to call upon his name for rescue is now. And whether it's during the response song or later on today or tomorrow or later this week, you need to let me know. If you want to talk about what it means to be a Christian, you come find me and talk to me and I'll be happy to talk to you as long as you wish. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, if... You have questions about what it means to be baptized. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized before. You don't understand why we do it or what it means. Find me. Talk to me. Stick around after service. I'll talk to you. Maybe, maybe you've been jumping around church to church. You've been, you've been living as a spiritual orphan. And maybe you need to talk about what it means to be a part of a body of believers at a church. I'm happy to stick around and talk to you. But folks, this good news of God bringing new hearts in the midst of dead ones, it beckons us to respond to him. So this morning I'm gonna ask us to do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that even though I've got all these plans of what I wanna preach on, that your spirit guides. And God, I thank you that this morning, through your word, you've shown us the deceitfulness of our hearts and our desperate need for you to take out our old heart and put in a new one. And so, Father, I pray you'll do that today. God, I pray there'll be people in this room for the first time who have heard their desperate need for Christ. God, I pray you will draw them to respond to you, that they might fall before you. They might confess their sin to you, their desperate need for forgiveness. And God, they might call upon the name of your son Jesus and that he might forgive them. Lord, I pray you'll draw them right now. And God, I pray for us as Christians. God, that we would not become overwhelmed living in this world. And the things that this world entices us with, the loves that try to distract us and pull us away. Father, we're aware of them, we see them. We know that we're prone to wander. God, our our lives, we can sing that constant refrain, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But, oh, God, we're asking you to take our hearts and seal them. Seal them for your courts above. God, protect us as Christians. Help us to cast off sin and to walk after you. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back or not so we can have a gold star on the tote border of heaven. But so that you might be glorified. That others might see what an awesome God can do in the hearts of deceitfully, desperately wicked people. Oh God, may your name be great in this response time. We ask it all in Jesus' name.